Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Trying to get a beer before or after a Nats game and are unable to get the bartender's attention? Well, Walters has solved that problem and more. Welcome to Walters, where Walters 24 self pour beer wall awaits you. Ask your server for a beer card and hit the beer wall, pay by the ounce, and try a few suds before you settle on your favorite. Follow us on Untapped to get notified of all the new beers we bring in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One oh delivery. Swing a long drive, right field line. If it's fair, it's gone. It's way back there, and it is gone. Fair in the second deck. Two times up, two Kyle Schwarber homers. Here's the pitch. Swing a fly ball to right. This is trouble. Thomas going back, way back in the warning track, and it is gone. Goodbye. JT Realmuto, the opposite way. Four rows deep and bouncing further up off some hands. Another 0-2, here it is. Swing and a line drive, base hit, left center field. Castiano scores. Hall coming home, he'll score. Over to third goes Rio Muto, and aboard at first with a two-run single is Alec Bohm. Five runs home in the inning, 11 to nothing. Phillies. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, July 6, 2022, along with MassInSports.com. Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman was at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, a list that already included Ray Adrianza and D-Strain Gordon now includes Alcides Escobar. The question is, Nationals position players who have pitched this season. Yes, we on Tuesday night had yet another instance of a Nationals position player pitching. We have had this way too often now over the last two years, and we have this again on Tuesday night. Alcides Escobar, who never plays shortstop anymore. I guess you might as well get some usage out of him. He ended up tossing a scoreless bottom of the eighth in what ended up being an 11-0 loss for the Nats at the Phillies in game one of a three-game series. The Nats now are 6-29 and against National League East teams this season. A Nats lineup that was Sanz, Juan Soto, and Sanz, Nelson Cruz did next to nothing in this game. And the Nats got smashed on Tuesday night. Mark, we have had some ugly losses for the Nats uh, these last two years. I don't know if this is the ugliest loss that we've seen, but this certainly is near the top of the list. This is pretty bad. It was pretty bad, Al, and it just felt hopeless. I mean, almost from the moment that Kyle Schwarber led off the bottom of the first with a home run. 
you kind of sensed what was coming. And this was like the nadir. This was everything coming together in the worst possible way. You outlined it. The record against the division has been awful. The lineup without Juan Soto or Nelson Cruz, a lineup that already was struggling even when those guys were playing, they had no chance. You had Paolo Espino getting knocked out early, and now you're going to the bullpen, just trying to piece your way through it. And Escobar, I mean, if this doesn't tell you everything, here it is. Alcides Escobar was activated off the IL two weeks ago. Since then, he started one game at shortstop. He's come into pinch run twice, and he's now pitched a scoreless inning of relief. And that last bit was probably the best thing he's done for them since coming off the IL two weeks ago. Does that tell you everything you need to know right there? That pretty much captures it. Uh, the Nats this season now 29-54. and 54. Uh, That is the worst record in the National League. Uh, the Nats this season now have what is by far the worst run differential in the majors at minus 129. And how about this? So you have in baseball a team's expected win-loss record, which is based on your run differential. If you go to ESPN.com, you can see the expected win-loss records. As bad as the Nats' actual record of 29-54 and 54 is, They've actually overachieved if you go by their expected win-loss record on ESPN.com based on that minus 129 run differential. The Nats' expected win-loss record is 28-55. and 55. That's how bad they have been this season. The actual record is an overachievement, even though the actual record is 29-54. and 54. You and I have talked about this. Could this be the worst Nationals team since the franchise came to D.C.? Uh, that remains very much a possibility. We don't know how bad this season is going to get. And I feel like Tuesday night was a reminder of just how bad things might end up getting this season. The product that's on the field right now is about as bad as it's ever been here and maybe is the worst. I, I think the one thing, and we've tried to point this out from the beginning, and it's hard to do, especially on nights like this, it's hard to have this mindset, is rather than looking at the full product, look at individuals and say, okay, are there five, six, seven individual players out there who are going to be a part of this in the long term and who are gaining something from this season? And I'd say probably so. And maybe that's more so than back then in the other 100 lost seasons of 08 and 09. And, you know, we'll see what the second half brings. It could get worse in some ways. Maybe it could get better. I think at the very least, we're going to see some more young guys who potentially are part of the puzzle. And it's almost like if you're going to lose this bad, at least lose with guys who maybe have a future here. And that could be more compelling and more rewarding than watching them lose with guys who don't have a future here. Unfortunately, right now, they're not there yet. They've just got to put the team that they have out there. And it's hard to watch. There's no doubt about it. They just got swept by the Marlins. And we talked about how bad that was. But that those teams should be close, you know, in terms of those should be competitive games. When it comes to the other three teams in the division, they're just not even close to being in the same class as the Braves, the Mets, or the Phillies right now. That's pretty alarming. This was a depleted lineup for the Nats on Tuesday night. Uh, No Juan Soto. He did not start for a second consecutive game due to the left calf tightness uh, that caused him to leave the 10-inning loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon after four innings. Uh, No Nelson Cruz. He was a late scratch due to a stomach-related illness. And so you had a Nats lineup on Tuesday night that had Kbert Ruiz as the cleanup batter, that had Michael Franco as the starting DH and number five batter. And the results, not so shockingly, were not good. The Nats got shut out 
The Nats totaled just three hits, all of which were singles. The Nats worked four walks, yes. Uh, but the Nats' most productive hitter for the game really ended up being Victor Robles. And he was a number nine batter, and he didn't have a hit. He drew two walks, and he had a stolen base. Like, that was your most productive offensive player in the game. And, you know, you think about what could be coming starting August 3rd after that August 2nd trade deadline if Josh Bell gets traded away. If Nelson Cruz gets traded away, who knows who else might get traded away? Might we be seeing a whole lot of what we saw on Tuesday night moving forward that like this could just be a regular occurrence? The Nats lineup doing next to nothing in games because there just aren't many good hitters. It's a scary thought to consider. And yeah, I've been considering it as well. If you lose two of your three big bats in the middle of the lineup, we've talked all along how very rarely have all three of them been productive at the same time. And when they aren't, it's hard to get much going. Well, you remove two of them entirely from the equation for the rest of the season. That is a huge challenge. And I just think to myself, there's going to be a whole lot of pressure on guys like Cabert Ruiz and Luis Garcia and even Lane Thomas to try to deliver for them. And it may be too much to ask. Obviously, Juan Soto is going to have the whole weight of the world on his shoulders the rest of the way. But if I'm an opposing pitcher, I'm probably not letting him see anything close to hitting. And we may end up with one of those, you know, Juan Soto 500 on base percentage in the second half of the season because teams just aren't going to pitch to him at all. That is a concern to me. I do think the pitching side of it could, in theory, get better in the second half, depending on who we see called up and what kind of impact they have. But from an offensive standpoint, unless they make a trade, you know, last year they made a trade and brought in Ruiz right away. You know, unless there is a trade that brings somebody in who can step right into the lineup and make a difference, I'm not sure where the offense is going to come from the rest of the season. It could be really rough. Yeah, I mean, it was a pleasant surprise last year after the fire sale that the offense actually was pretty good. And you got some surprising offensive production from guys like Lane Thomas and Riley Adams. So there is always that possibility. But no doubt, I mean, just looking at things logically and looking at where things stand right now, where is the offense going to come after the MLB trade deadline? And, you know, we talk so often about the pitching problems and the lack of organizational pitching depth. Where's the organizational offensive depth? Like, who are the hitters to be getting excited about? At least with the pitchers, we can talk about a Cade Cavalli and a Cole Henry. Aside from Brady House, and he's, you know, in the lower levels of the minors right now, who is the next great Nationals hitter? Who's a young guy in the farm system who gets excited about what he could be as a batter at the major league level? As bad as it is with the pitching, I think it might be worse right now with the position players, with the batters. There just doesn't seem to be much at all to be looking forward to in terms of young Nationals position players in the farm system, again, aside from Brady House. Certainly at the upper levels of the system, it's a huge problem. You know, House is at low single A. Um, Christian Vaquero, the top international prospect, he's still in the Dominican. He's 17 years old, maybe even 16, and won't even be in the U.S. until next year. So you're talking about several years down the road before we see those guys. It does make me think, and, you know, we'll see as we get closer to the state how it all works out. But all things being equal, I would think that they're going to be targeting a hitter with the number five pick in the draft, and ideally a hitter who could be on a fast track to the big leagues. Now, you don't draft based on need, certainly not in baseball. Mike Rizzo will tell you whoever they deem to be the best available player to them when their spot comes up, that's who they're going to draft. But I would not be surprised if in a perfect world, if they have the opportunity to draft a a more advanced hitter 
I could see that happening. And yeah, it's got to come from somewhere and they don't really have it in house right now. And it's, it's tough to watch. This was the third straight game where they were shut out through six innings. I mean, like zero runs on the board heading to the seventh inning on three straight days. That's not good. And it's not like they've been facing aces. Pablo Lopez is the best of them. They faced the last three days. That's not good. It's funny too. And I didn't realize this until shortly before the game This was the Nats' first game at the Phillies since before the fire sale. You would think that that would not have been true just because it feels like the Nats play the Phillies all the time. But no, this was the Nats' first game at the Phillies since last July 29th. And it was on that day that the Nats split a doubleheader at the Phillies. And also for the Nats on that day was the beginning of the fire sale. And we then had over a period of a little more than 24 hours, the Nats trading a total of eight players for a total of 12 prospects. So There's almost like a symbolism to what happened on Tuesday night of the last time you were here was the end. And now this next time that you're here is sort of a stiff reminder of the now. And the now is not pretty. I mean, this was just a tough, tough night for the Nats. This was a tough, tough night for our guy, the secret weapon, Paolo Espino. Uh, The carriage may be morphing back into a pumpkin for our guy, Paolo, with what went down on Tuesday night. He was the Nats starting pitcher and Things did not go well for a second consecutive outing for Paolo. Four runs in three and two-thirds innings, and as bad as that is, the damage could have been worse. Uh, He gave up six hits, two solo homers uh, by the same guy, the ex-nat Kyle Schwarber, uh, two doubles and two singles. Paolo issued a walk, had three strikeouts. He threw 82 pitches over his three and two-thirds innings, and he got yanked in the bottom of the fourth inning with the bases loaded. If Andres Machado doesn't do what he ends up doing, that final line for Paolo could have been even worse. And this was just tough to watch. We love him. But uh, Paolo just was not good on Tuesday night. No. Now, the first time through the order, he gives up the leadoff homer to Schwarber, and then he retires eight in a row. Everybody else, he retires, thinking, okay, he might be able to get through this. Then he gives up another homer to Schwarber, and you're like, okay, well, as long as he doesn't have to face him again, should be fine. Well, second time through the order, so this is the fourth inning now, you have five of the first six batters he faced, all reached base, and the only out was on a a sacrifice fly that was hit almost to the warning track. So you could tell the second time through, they had him figured out. He wasn't fooling anybody at that point. And, you know, it does concern you when you have a guy who doesn't have stuff, and Paolo is certainly a guy who doesn't have a lot of blow-you-away stuff. There's a little bit of an expiration date there. And the Phillies had already seen him a couple weeks ago. Uh, you have, you know, now seeing him the second time in this game. And it's a good lineup, even without Bryce Harper. And, yeah, by the time he went through the lineup a second time, it was like, nope, it's not going to happen. And Davey was not going to let him face Schwarber again. He brings an Andres Machado with the bases loaded. To his credit, Machado strikes him out and had a little bit of a strut off the mound after he did it. So good for him for getting that out. But... You know, I do worry that Paolo Espino, while he's a valuable guy to the team, he can do a lot for you, to expect him to maintain the success rate that he had up to about a week or two ago was probably too much to ask. You just hope that he can at least consistently give them, you know, five innings and give them a chance to win. In this game, he couldn't even do that. The homers by Schwarber off Paolo were vintage Schwarber bombs. Uh, the leadoff homer there in the bottom of the first, a full count homer, 412 feet per stat cast. And then the second homer, a two out solo homer, bottom of the third, 431 feet per stat cast. Uh, that first homer went to dead center. That second homer was a bomb. 
to right field. I mean, Schwarber just destroyed those baseballs there from Palo Espino. And, you know, this was Palo's fifth start. And the first three were kind of so-so. The third one was actually pretty good. But now these last two starts, numbers four and five, have not gone well. His previous outing prior to Tuesday night's 8-7 loss to the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park last Wednesday afternoon. Palo in that game, four runs in four into third innings. So it may well be that he is being exposed here. You know, we did kind of see this last year. This is when things started to go downhill for Paolo when he started making starts on the regular. And he had some good starts, but he also had some rough ones and the numbers plummeted. You know, it may just be that, look, he's a reliever. He's a long man. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have to be buried to just doing the ends of blowouts uh, for the Nats. He can do a little more than that. But starting may just not be his thing. You know, maybe we are seeing that as uh, time goes on here. Yeah, the problem is, though, they don't have anybody else right now. I mean, he's their number four. They don't have a number five at the moment. Somebody's going to have to come up to start Thursday's game with Jackson Tatro now out. So even if he continues to struggle, they don't really have a choice but to leave Espino in the rotation for the time being until somebody else comes along. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get yourself some Window Nation windows and take advantage of a great offer at 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. Beat the heat with Window Nation. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. Yeah, 2024. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. And Window Nation windows are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. If your current windows are sticking or are drafty or are cracked or are hard to open or are locking when they close, you need new windows Get yourself Window Nation windows, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the deal. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The pitch. Swinging a soft line drive. That's going to be over Bell's head and dunk in for a hit. It'll be picked up by Cesar Hernandez as two runs have come in to score. And Schwarber goes over to third. A little broken bat bleeder right over the head of Josh Bell. Makes it 8-0 Phillies. Stott and Veerling score. Schwarber goes to third as that ball barely reached the outfield grass. All right, so with the Nats' bullpen, we had five Nats' relievers on Tuesday night. They combined to allow seven runs in four and a third innings, but the culprits were only two guys, Erasmo Ramirez and Reed Garrett. We talked about what Andres Machado did, and this was impressive. Came into the game, bottom of the fourth, bases loaded, two outs, Nats down 4 nothing, and Kyle Schwarber, who already had hit two solo home runs in the game, was batting. Machado struck out Schwarber swinging on six pitches. We got the Machado strut, And then that was it. Andres Machado didn't face another batter in the game. The guy who relieved him, Erasmo Ramirez, bottom of the fifth, gave up two runs. He gave up a two-out, two-run homer to JT Real Muto on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-0 Phillies lead. I know that you asked Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters, hey, was there something wrong with Andres Machado? Especially for the Nats in this difficult pitching predicament that they're in right now. Why did Davey only have Machado face one batter on Tuesday night? Yeah, I thought it was a little odd. I thought either something's wrong with him, unfortunately, or for whatever reason, they just didn't want to continue. And his answer was essentially that Machado has pitched a lot lately, and he didn't want to burn him up so much so that he wouldn't be available uh, the next day or even the day after that. And, you know, you hate to say it, but even at 4 nothing, maybe you're already thinking this may not be a competitive game. Let's hang on to a guy and make sure that he can come back the next day for maybe what will be a competitive game. So he went to the others and it did not go well, obviously. But that was the reasoning behind it. I guess I understand. I did think it was odd that you would bring him in like that, have him have success in a huge spot. And say, okay, nope, you're good, you're done. We, you know, nowadays with the three batter minimum, you just don't see that kind of thing very much. But when you end the inning, you face one batter and end the inning, that's all it takes. You're allowed to come out of the game. Yeah. So Rosmo Ramirez gave up two runs in the bottom of the fifth, and then we got the Reed Garrett experience in the bottom of the sixth. Five runs and just two outs. Uh, this was uh, not fun to watch. Reed Garrett, five runs, just two outs. Gave up four hits, issued three walks. He threw 44 pitches in that bottom of the sixth inning. Uh, Jordan Weems tossed one and a third scoreless innings. And then we got Alcides Escobar pitching. Uh, and he did toss a scoreless bottom of the eighth. I mean, I'll give him credit. Uh, he gave up a single. He issued a hit by pitch. You know, he did the thing that we see from position players when they pitch. If you throw a ball like 30 miles an hour and, you know, ha, ha, ha. As we've discussed, it's not really funny anymore because we've seen this way too often 
with the Nats in recent years. You know, I was thinking about this, though. So we have Josiah Gray pitching game two of this series, and then there's the TBD for game three. You would think, okay, maybe a bullpen game is an option. Well, I would think if to whatever extent a bullpen game was an option, that would seem to be off the table of five relievers having to pitch on Tuesday night or not necessarily, in your opinion. It would depend on what Josiah Gray does, I guess, on Wednesday. If he somehow gives him seven innings and maybe you use Finnegan and Rainey to close that one out, then you might be able to pull it off. And maybe that, too, has something to do with Machado. He's a guy who goes multiple innings. Maybe they're already anticipating that he could start Thursday and go three innings or something like that. We'll see. The minor league options are not great. Anibal Sanchez just made a rehab start Sunday. He won't be ready yet. Josh Rogers went to Harrisburg and is scheduled to start Wednesday night, although that's not, it's in pencil right now. It's not in ink. They were going to discuss that and maybe consider pulling him back, although they don't really think he's ready yet necessarily. Joanna Doan hasn't pitched in a little while. I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. So there are not some great options here. And so I, I would guess that they may be thinking best case, they could do a bullpen game. But in order to do that, like you said, you have to get through the first game, two games of the series, without burning up your whole bullpen. And game one did not help that cause at all. No, it didn't. Just a tough night for the Nats. Certainly a tough night if you're a Nats fan. I know we had some updates prior to the game regarding some uh, pitchers who were trying to come back from injury and you know, guys who I think a lot of people maybe have kind of written off in terms of pitching the rest of this season. We'll see. But Sean Doolittle, Will Harris, uh, do you think that we'll see either guy pitch again at the major league level this season or in Harris's case, pitch at all? Yeah. I mean, they are both encouraged by what's gone on. They also both know, specifically in Harris's case, how quickly this can go the opposite direction. You know, Will Harris, thoracic outlet surgery, a little bit different than Strasburg, not the exact same thing. Remember, he started pitching in spring training, still had problem. They went in and found that he had a muscle tear and wound up repairing that. And he's just now coming back from it. He said he feels great. He's been throwing bullpens. He thinks he's close to now facing live hitters. And each step of the way, he's starting to feel the itch. He wants to be back. He wants to finally show them that he can be a reliable big league pitcher for them. And what's just been a disaster of a three-year contract that he got. But as we saw with Strasburg and anybody else who has this surgery, until you're all the way back from it, you don't really know that something else could happen. So I know that he's trying to pump the brakes while being very anxious to come back. In Doolittle's case, he is playing catch off a mound now. He's going to throw a full bullpen session on Thursday. He's felt really good about the way this has gone since he had that PRP injection about now six weeks ago or so for his elbow sprain. It sounds like all the follow-up tests have been good. He's very encouraged. Now, again, there's still some important steps. You got to ramp it up. You got to start facing hitters, see how it responds. But I think he's pretty adamant about coming back here and pitching for them in the second half of the year. And what difference will it make? I don't know. I think this is at this point more about two veterans wanting to prove they can come back from injuries and not just fade away like that. I think on a, on a personal level, it would mean a lot to them both to come back and pitch this year. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We got this email from Ian, or Ian perhaps, uh, Ian, Regarding this comp that I know has been made to you and has been made by others of, okay, this season's Nats team could be like the 2010 Nats team and the next season can be like 2011. And uh, Ian asked this question, do you think that this Nats team is similar to that 2010 team or do you think we're closer to the 2009 team 
where we're at rock bottom and the only meaningful player was Ryan Zimmerman and we saw flashes of Michael Morris and Ian Desmond. And uh, we have had this conversation to at least some degree before of, yeah, it'd be nice if this was like 2010 and then next year was 2011 and then the following year was 2012. But that may well be wishful thinking. Uh, As this season goes on, do you think that we are looking at more of a 2009 type team as opposed to a 2010 type team? I would say at this moment, we're somewhere in between the two would be my guess. The performance, like we said, is like 2009, if not worse. The way they are just getting ransacked by some of these opponents, it just feels hopeless. Whereas the 2010 team felt like they were more competitive. They had a pretty decent lineup that year with Adam Dunn and Josh Willingham and Ryan Zimmerman. You had Steven Strasburg, you know, coming up, all the excitement with him. So this feels more hopeless right now as far as the results of the team. But I do think it's more like 2010 in terms of what we said before of the individuals who are already here who we think could be a part of this long term. Josiah Gray, Cabert Ruiz, Luis Garcia, possibly Lane Thomas, possibly some of the relievers. You know, even uh, Jackson Tatro before he got hurt. We don't know. Maybe he could be a part of this moving forward. You know, Josh Bell is kind of like Adam Dunn to me. And they didn't trade Dunn that year. They lost him as a free agent. He wound up not doing well for the White Sox. We'll see what they can get this time. For Bell, Soto is kind of like the Ryan Zimmerman at this point. I think the determining thing is going to be over the final three months, how many more potential building blocks do we see up here? Cavalli and Henry being the two biggest ones. How do they perform when they come up? How does Garcia perform the rest of the way? How does Ruiz perform the rest of the way? I think you could get to the end of this season and say, even if this is a 105 loss team and that's comparable to 2009, potentially there's enough individuals who look like they're part of the long-term plan here to make you say, yeah, this that's actually more like 2010. So it's, I'm trying not to look at the record. I'm trying to look at more the roster and who's here and who's just here to hold a place for the rest of this year and who is here that could potentially be here next year and beyond. Well, MLB Pipeline on Tuesday came out with its updated top 100 prospects list. Uh, We have two Nats on the list, Cade Cavalli, number 48, Brady House, number 53. And so if you're a Nats fan, you cling to those two, you cling to some others, and you hope like heck the next time MLB Pipeline comes out with its top 100 that there maybe is an additional Nat or two uh, on that list. But this team cannot do enough to get more good, young, promising players. And hopefully, uh, we will be seeing more good, young, promising players come to the Nats uh, in the coming weeks here. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we continue now with our look back at the month that changed everything for the Nats, July 2021. Today, we look back at a 7-5 Nationals loss at the San Diego Padres, July 5th, 2021. This is a game that is notable for a few reasons, including Trey Turner homering on the first pitch that he saw in San Diego upon returning from injury. This also was a game in which John Lester was quite bad 
Hard to imagine back then that Mike Rizzo would end up trading uh, Lester for anyone, uh, but Mike Rizzo, of course, did end up doing that. We thank you for listening to the Nat Chat Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. David Martinez saying earlier today the swelling isn't completely gone, but he's able to swing the bat and put the glove on without any great discomfort. First pitch swinging and a fly ball to deep left field. This one way back, going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Into the second deck and straight away left field on his first swing in five games. Zoom goes all-star Trey Turner. Now the 1-0. Swing and a line drive up the middle. Base hit center field. Rounding third Escobar coming home. Grisham's throw to the plate is not in time. Josh Bell is two for two. And it's now the Nationals five and the Padres nothing. Swing and a line drive left field. Base hit toward the corner. This will tie the ball game. Myers cruising into second with an RBI double that ties the ball game at five in the fourth inning. Josh Bell bats right-handed and hits one in the air to left center field deep. This one is way back there, may go, and the Nationals are in front. A home run for Josh Bell on the first pitch, and the Nationals lead 6-5. to five. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, July 6, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we are beginning taping of this installment of the Nats Chat podcast at 2.47 a.m., on Tuesday. We are fatigued. We are delirious, but we are delirious with joy because the Nationals won late on Monday night, 7-5 victory in game one of a four-game series at the San Diego Padres. Trey Turner was back, the former property of the Padres. And isn't it funny what can happen when Trey Turner returns to your lineup? And isn't it funny what can happen when Alcides Escobar is a leadoff batter in your lineup? I don't know how the Nats did it, Mark, especially given that John Lester was wretched again. But the Nats found a way to author a big win at the Padres. Well, are we sure it actually happened, Al? Because you and I are both delirious being up this late. So maybe we were hallucinating it. Although if you saw the same things I saw, I guess it did actually happen. And they just beat the Padres, one of the best teams in baseball, behind Alcides Escobar, Josh Bell, who's resurgent. Trey Turner being healthy. And how about Wander Suero, Sam Clay, Austin Voth, and Brad Hand, all perfect for four innings of relief against a really good Padres lineup. That was a gut check win. I thought that was a really important win for them after what they went through over the weekend against the Dodgers and then to give up a five-run lead in this game. That was impressive. I don't know where it's going to go from here, but that's a good win for them. No doubt. I mean, the cliche in college basketball is survive in advance. And that's what the Nats are in the midst of right now with this gauntlet that the Nats are running as apparently the Nats have been uh, shifted to the National League West here for the remaining uh, week or so of the pre-All-Star break portion of the season. Four games against the Dodgers at Nats Park. Now the seven game road trip four at the Padres, three at the Giants. 